the 2020 audiobook introduction to Violence Unveiled by Gil Bailey, produced by the Cornerstone Forum. My introduction to the first edition of Violence Unveiled began with lines from the poet Richard Wilbur. Let me begin this brief introduction to the audio edition of the book with a few more lines from Wilbur. Old trees are doomed to annual rebirth. New wood, new life, new compass, greater girth. And this is all their wisdom and their art, to grow, stretch, crack, and not yet come apart. The exploration that began with violence unveiled, the mining of the work of my friend and teacher, René Girard, continued in the years after the book was published. For several years, that exploration took the form of lectures I gave in many cities around the country and a few in Europe and Australia. The fruits of the exchanges I was privileged to have with many wonderful people during those years finally came together in another book published in 2016, God's Gamble, The Gravitational Power of Crucified Love. Like the old trees in Wilbur's poem, in the two decades between these books, the theme that linked them grew, stretched, occasionally cracked, but it did not come apart. Few indeed are the authors who remain completely satisfied with something written 25 years earlier, and I am not one of them. But the due of discovery is a gift of the Spirit that deserves to be shielded from the tinkering of an author too eager to remedy a few old gaps or gaffes in an earlier work. God's Gamble may be a more mature and more theologically serious work, but those most likely to judge it so will be the readers of Violence Unveiled, a book which, I'm deeply gratified to say, many found to be a point of entry into René Girard's enormous contribution to the human sciences and to Christian self-understanding. More than once, René spoke to me with something of a devilish twinkle in his eye, about how much the enthusiastic reception that his work was given in the 1980s and 90s was due to how easily his insights could be read through the lens of the dominant spirit of the age. In those years, the victimary thinking that now dominates the educational, entertainment, and journalistic institutions was in its infancy. Nevertheless, a theory claiming that both culture and religion begin with scapegoating violence found an enthusiastic audience. By happy coincidence, Violence Unveiled appeared in print at the moment when the appetite for a popular introduction to Girard's thought had been aroused. The book's popularity was such that I spent a number of years after its publication traveling and lecturing. These were very happy years for me, but they were not without their awkward moments it became increasingly clear to me that many read violence unveiled through something of a secular liberal lens. Compounding this disappointment was the gradual realization that, in fact, the book had been written at a time when I myself had yet to fully free my own thinking from those then fashionable presuppositions. I repeatedly paid for that shortcoming by giving lectures and workshops to readers of violence unveiled who were at least mildly shocked to learn that I was, for the most part, both a religious and a political conservative. Fidelity to the truth as one sees it is a great consolation, but I was further consoled by the knowledge that René had often found himself faced with a similar reaction from his readers and especially from many of his academic colleagues.
shop-worn though these paradigms are today, they retain the power to arrest the reader's attention at the expense of the deeper implications of Girard's thought, not least its apocalyptic dimension. For it was Girard's contention that the Church of the late 20th century was wrong to soften the apocalyptic elements in the Christian New Testament in order to allay the misgivings of intellectuals both within and without the Church. On the contrary, Girard insisted, as did I in Violence and Veil, the Christian revelation exposed the powers and principalities of this world to a truth about their inner workings that would, over time, cripple the forms of social solidarity fallen humans had long been able to cobble together by sacralizing episodes of socially unifying all-against-one violence. It was this insight that appealed to secular progressives, until, that is, Girard showed that this sort of scapegoating violence was the world's oldest and most enduring tool for minimizing violence and preventing its potential apocalyptic escalation. As Christianity revealed the moral odiousness of this primordial way of bringing peace out of chaos, long-standing social instincts would respond to the waning of its efficacy by either sacrificing more and more victims or by executing more socially prestigious ones. It is worth noting in this regard that both these attempts to shore up the old system of sacralized violence were graphically on display in the French Revolution, in which the combination of regicide and mass murder epitomize what Girard means when speaking of apocalyptic violence. Not the violence of an angry god, but rather the natural consequences of unleashing mimetic desire from the constraints by which all pre-modern cultures instinctively prevented it from spiraling into violence. Throwing caution to the wind, modern cultures have been experimenting with what the sociologist Philip Reeve called the renunciation of renunciation and moving toward a new and ominous tyranny that Pope Benedict XVI termed the dictatorship of relativism. Seen through the anthropological lens that Girard has given us, the French Revolution reveals three seminal facts about the historical period we have entered that the ultimate point of attack will be the Judeo-Christian moral principles and the robust anthropology upon which they are based, that any resistance to this reckless revolution, whether that of religious believers, adherence to traditional moral codes, or the inner misgivings of the revolutionaries themselves, will only intensify the revolutionary passions, and thus that the attempt to fashion a post-Christian culture will devolve into an anti-Christian ideological movement, which will devolve further into nihilism and catastrophe, at first a moral one and then a societal one. The principle of sustainability currently enjoys great popularity, but the challenges of cultural sustainability are rarely addressed. It turns out to be a lot easier to turn a deaf ear and a blind eye to Christ and his church than it is for a once Christianized culture to fashion a sustainable post-Christian alternative. The latter task, in fact, is impossible. As Malcolm Muggeridge and David Bentley Hart, among others, have pointed out, it is Christ or nothing. The chief reason for this is that every attempt to expel Christian truth reenacts the Golgothan drama that reveals it. 
and to that extent subverts efforts to endow the post-Christian regime with legitimacy. If there are any left, a culture completely untouched by the Christian spirit might survive for a very long time. But formerly Christian cultures and those individuals formed by the overarching Christian architecture of the cultures in which they live will remain, in subtle but indelible ways, Christ-haunted. The tragically mistaken idea that the Judeo-Christian roots of our civilization can be abandoned with impunity is the predicate for much that happened in the Christian West over the last several centuries. Christianity can for a time be crushed by another religion or ideology, but history has shown that its smoldering embers will one day revive, but abandoning it for what is at best a Christ-flavored agnosticism will prove the validity of Christ's own warning. Without me, you can do nothing. For these words were spoken to those on whom Christ had left an indelible mark, and they apply to one degree or another even to those whose exposure to Christ has been merely cultural. In recent years, we have seen with growing clarity how irresolute and unstable a merely cultural Christianity is, and how easily its inherited doctrines and moral teachings are surrendered and its moral authority mimicked by powerful social forces deeply at odds with Christian faith and biblical anthropology. The Swiss theologian Hans Urs von Balthasar, one of René Girard's favorite theologians, demonstrated how congruent his own intellectual commitments were with those of Girard when he insisted that, quote, anthropology could be and ought to be treated as a function of Christology. In Violence Unveiled and God's Gamble, I drew on René Girard's anthropological insight and in the latter book, The Complementary Philosophical and Theological Insights of St. Pope John Paul II, Benedict XVI, Hansers von Balthasar, and others. In both books, I argue that the Christian revelation both laid bare the human predicament and altered the conditions on which pre-Christian forms of cultural life were premised. Thus it is that the revelation of the cross precipitates a mounting crisis, a race between the effect of the gospel, namely the expose of violence at the heart of ancient forms of religiosity, and the message of the gospel, namely how to live generous, contrite, and forgiving lives without recourse to these ancient systems of sacralized violence. In God's Gamble, I argued that the cross of Christ left a crater at the center of history, an inflection of sacrificial love toward which everything before and after is ordered and properly understood. Violence Unveiled laid the groundwork for this assessment by assembling a collection of largely anecdotal evidence from biblical and contemporary journalistic sources, which, notwithstanding the lapse of a quarter century since its publication, I hope will still help its readers to better appreciate and navigate the tempestuous currents on which our world is now being tossed. Karl Barth insisted that though Christology can lead to an authentic anthropology, anthropology cannot lead to an authentic Christology. In one way of speaking, that might be true. But anthropology can discover a Christ-shaped hole in the human heart that only the Christ of history, scripture, and tradition can fill. This, in fact, 
is what Rene Girard did, or so I argue in a book on which I am now working. Karl Barth was right in one respect, however, for the spirit of intellectual adventure with which Girard began his investigations was not purely anthropological. He brought to his task a thoroughly Christian intelligence, and I would add, a deeply sacramental sensibility. At the end of the last millennium, the Dominican scholar Aidan Nichols issued a clarion call under the boldly retrograde title Christendom Awake, in the introduction of which he said this of the Catholic Church, Does this community have the resources of symbols in the liturgy, the material environment, devotion in the home, and the language in philosophy and literature, and the conviction in doctrine and morals, to restore a broadly-based public faith to the society in which it lives. No other issue in the Church is worthy of consideration with the same seriousness as this. End quote. Any assessment of the intellectual treasure trove that René Girard has bequeathed us which fails to recognize this same cry of the heart, will have missed the essence of this extraordinary and wonderful man, to whom I owe a debt I can only imperfectly repay by calling the attention of others to the intellectual treasures he has left us. This concludes the 2020 audiobook introduction to Violence Unveiled. If you would like to learn more about the work of the Cornerstone Forum, please visit our website at cornerstoneforum.org. That's cornerstoneforum, all one word, dot O-R-G. Thank you for your interest in our work.